she was trying to sell her house and at the end it didn't really work out but basically her, her story was probably the wildest i've heard uh, of, a, of a private seller she was a victim of a ponzi scheme uh, here in edmonton as you can imagine it was pretty devastating to find out and actually to meet somebody in person who was defrauded of so much money where she had to refinance her personal residence into hundreds of thousands of dollars and that house is not even worth that much like Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Ilona Carletti on. We are so excited because she's going to be able to share some unique perspectives with us coming from another country um, around the age of 16. She has a lot of different world experiences and she's diving in with us into the world of new real estate development. So some bills. So we're super excited about that. Ilona, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, if you could start us off with a story, one of your craziest real estate transactions you've faced so far. Yeah, for sure. Hi, Matt. And hi, everybody listening. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, I'm super pumped. So probably the craziest that um, I can share with you is um, I was on a hunt for, we call it in uh, Canada, agreement for sale, like AFS, where you basically assume somebody's mortgage. And um, I um, got in touch with a seller that we actually built their pretty good uh, bond with. And um, it was getting to know her story and why she was trying to sell her house. And at the end, it didn't really work out. Um, but basically, her, her story was probably the wildest I've um, I've heard uh, of, a, of a private seller. She was a victim of a Ponzi scheme, scheme uh, here in Edmonton. As you can imagine, it was pretty devastating to to find out and actually to meet somebody in person who was defrauded of so much money where she had to refinance her personal residence um, into hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that house is not even worth that much. Like, and oh. she lost everything. And this poor lady, uh, a senior trying to, you know, she's retired, but she's trying to downsize and in poor health, uh, trying to uh, move to, you know, a retirement residency where a residence where she can be taken care of and she can just live a simpler lifestyle. <clears throat> and she can't because she can't sell her house. <clears throat> and um, I was trying to find all sorts of solutions for her. And um, unfortunately, you know, like while you're trying to create a win-win situation and help the seller out and solve their problem, it also has to make sense for yourself because, um, it's a business uh, after all, and the numbers have to work. So that property, the numbers that it was working at, it was not working for her. And then I did connect her with a real estate uh, agent. And um, I don't know, somehow when I followed up with her, she hasn't sold it yet. And then COVID, of course, happened. And then market was pretty flat. And then I just switched strategies and um, I did not follow up with her. But... I have all the intention to do so and figure out where she is at now because I hope she was able to sell her house um, in, at the peak of the market after COVID um, sort of ended. It was a bit of a market frenzy here and um, we had uh, quite a bit of, inf you know, increase in uh, single family houses in the price. So yeah. hopefully she was able to sell it. 
I sure hope so. That's one of the heartbreaking things about this business. Like the good thing is a lot of times like we can come up with solutions and help people, but there are times where we just can't and it's heartbreaking, especially like when it's someone like that, that's, you know, older in years or have, has something that, that makes it harder. So yeah, sure. let's dive into your story a little bit. So you did, you were not born in Canada or in the U S you were born in Ukraine in Ukraine, and yeah. you, then you came to Argentina and then over to Canada. So can you give us like a little bit of a glimpse, like what was life like in Ukraine? And then what was it like coming to, you know, a couple different countries at the age of 16, 17? Yeah, for sure. Um, let me tell you. So I grew up in Ukraine, uh, you know, in nineties and it was the post-Soviet <laughs> country recon reconstruction. It was pretty um, wild what was happening economically and, it was basically a scarcity of everything around us. And I still remember coming home from school and, you know, going on the bus and driving through these um, neighborhoods that were completely blacked out. Like the country was in such a poor state that they had to ratio um, the energy, the electricity, and basically there were like blocks of two hours per neighborhood every night or two to three nights in our city. and. Uh, coming home and, you know, having to do homework by uh, a light, <laughs> by with the batteries. And I remember having like this big light that was having like a daylight and it was pretty bright in my, on, on my desk, but that was, that was how I was doing my homework um, for, for some time. So that scarcity in, you know, economic situation and complete political disarray in the country Lots of corruption, as you can imagine, was happening at that time. And uh, it was basically wild, wild Ukraine at that time. People were surviving um, whoever they could. And um, that just led to, you know, the scarcity thinking and scarcity mentality. And at the same time, I would say uh, resiliency, because if you can get through that, you can get through anything. And um, uh, just, I guess, appreciation for the good life we have in Canada that... Uh, it's not like yeah. that at all. <laughs> For sure. So I'd like to kind of go into the contrast there. But before we do, I want to dive into, can you put a little bit of detail for us on what are some of the things that are such a huge benefit to a person to have to go through scarcity? Like what are some of the thought patterns or skills that you develop going through scarcity? And what are some of the things that you feel like is harder for you now because you had to go through scarcity? Right. That's a, such a good question. I think when somebody is going through scarcity, you're basically developing this mindset that you've got nothing to lose. You've, you've got everything to gain. And um, it's this defiance mentality that this does not define me. This is not who I am. I have bigger dreams for myself and I know it's possible because if I can dream it and it can, if I can say it and describe it to somebody else, that means that I can achieve it. So, you know, it's just that defiance and um, resilience that in spite of all of this, I'm going to get to where I need to get. Um, I, I really think that that, um, but it, you know, it def like that, what that approach really helped me. But I also saw that around myself that uh, not everybody took that approach, right? Like a lot of people were stuck in that victim mentality that life is hard and this is how it is. And there is no way I can achieve more because that's just how life is. And you know, what I can tell you is that those people have never got, they never got to anywhere because they never set those goals. They never 
um, thought of themselves as enough of those goals, as enough to achieve those goal, goals, and um, they were still stuck, and I think they're still stuck. But uh, what I saw around me at that time also is that people who hustled and who really tried, no matter what kind of conditions you're thrown in and what kind of kind of environment you're in, they tried their best and they just hustled and they just were stayed active and um, didn't let that environment determine the mindset. I think th that that's key. Um, those people survived. And I, I feel like my parents were part of that type of um, people that um, I'm super grateful to have around me at, at those times because they didn't just say, oh, this is just how it is. They said, well, where is better? What can we do? The country is not getting better, but how can we get a better future for our kids? And where do we need to go? And where is that? So they went, <clears throat> we didn't go through one immigration, we went through two immigrations. <laughs> <laughs> in the period of two years. So my parents left and they left me and my sister. Uh, we basically tended for ourselves with the help of our grandmas from time to time for a full year. And then we joined our parents in Argentina. Uh, we spent there. So my parents stayed in Argentina for a year before we joined. And then we came and we stayed there Scope for it out another for you guys. year. Yeah. yeah. But the only reason they called us is because they knew we were go coming to uh, Canada. I think they had high hopes they applied for immigration to Canada and so it was like you know it was amazing because coming from the scarcity of everything and then go, coming to Argentina and thinking that oh my goodness we are on the way to Canada it was like a game changer like in the mindset in everything it was like oh my goodness like my dreams are happening and they're materializing and I can be anything I want to be and I still remember that interview with that immigration officer in Buenos Aires who was interviewing us so he was asking us who do you want to be when you grow up and at that point of course I wanted to be a dentist because that's what my parents told me I have to be <laughs> and I told him but I think it was the sheer determination and uh, uh, you know certainty that yes i will be who i think i want to be that he was just um excited to have an interview and we basically got our papers to come to canada pretty quick it was a fast immigration process that's so <laughs> awesome so i want to get perspective that i can only get from you that i wouldn't be able to get from a native-born canadian or or u.s u.s person what what is ukraine's uh like, how do they think of Americans? How do they think of Argentinians? How do they think of Canadians? <laughs> oh my like, goodness. Don't hold back. Yeah, you know, um, I haven't lived there for over 20 years now. So all I can give you is a perspective of 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, 90s <laughs> which is like i'm dating myself lots here. changed yeah 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 Yeah, but um <clears throat> i don't know i i think it's nothing but respect i think from like what i remember people are always and we're always very curious about um if i judge by myself like how people live how they think um what kind of you know cars they drive what 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 is life is like to to live in a different country what kind of opportunities they have so it's just i i would say it's a pure curiosity kind of um approach even for myself i think that you know the experience of two immigrations led me to do a degree or two degrees in anthropology because I was just so curious about that cultural aspect and how people can understand or not understand each other because of their cultural differences and why they make decisions that they make. Um, I was just super fascinated with that diversity aspect and uh, so I dove into anthropology. <laughs>
That's so fun. That's that's a topic. That's an interview all in and of its own. Curiosity gets me though. Like, why not stay in Argentina? Like, was it just did they know their plan was to get to Canada and they had to get over like halfway? You know, was it a layover or was it like they got there and they're like, no, not Argentina. Let's go to Canada. Yes, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, unfortunately. And you know, that's, I guess, part of cultural intricacies and uh, the way people talk about their countries and, you know, the way people use language. Uh, When my parents went in Kiev to the Argentinian embassy, basically what they were told is that Argentina is the best country in the world. And I'm not like, you know, Argentina is a great country, you know. But like now when I look back on it, I understand that that's just because that's how Argentinians talk. They, that's how they talk in Spanish. That's how they describe their country is the best. The street is the widest. The street is the longest. This is the best steak in the world. This is the best language in the world. You know, that's just how they talk. So in that translation (laughs) to Ukrainian, (laughs) it just like my parents took it literally. This is the best country in the world. This, This was their research. Like people at the embassy told them. So they left. And then when they got there, they understood it was actually not the case in the economical sense of things. <laughs> like they, my dad was working in a car wash. He was working um, uh, like a gardener. My mom was cleaning. So it was like coming from Ukraine where they had their own business, you know, and hustling and like having this mentality of I'm going to survive no matter what. Coming to Argentina when they have no language and having to do all these jobs. And then they applied uh, to go uh, to immigrate to Canada and they knew, hopefully they, they get it. Um, that's why they called us to, to Argentina and me, my sister and myself came. But even, you know, I'll share with you, being in Argentina, it was such a great experience because it gave me this exposure to a completely different culture, completely different way of living and trying to survive. It was like a first taste of immigration in a, in a country. It was a foreign language, different customs. Everything is different living around the church in um we lived in a communion kind of community for newly arrived ukrainians because we were not the only ones i will tell you <laughs> thought that argentina was the best country in the world uh, so um, there were some good salespeople over there in the embassy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so you know me coming to argentina at 16 and i finished high school uh, in ukraine um i actually had to be a clean lady i was cleaning washrooms i was cleaning people's houses uh, because that was the only job i could get for a while without spanish while i was learning spanish and then eventually i graduated to being um, a waitress and i will tell you i'm like the most the worst waitress in the world (laughs) i will spill sunday on you and coffee just because that's just i don't know that somehow stresses me out (laughs) i don't know why right (laughs) the worst i'd be the same yeah absolutely (laughs) So they they set their sights on Canada, and they obviously get it. Now you're 17 when you land in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And what's that like? Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. You're 17. You're in Canada. Still don't know the language, right? There's still it's a new language. It's a new process. How how does the journey get going for them? What was your role in that process? Yeah, that's another good question. So, yeah, of course, in Canada. So we landed in uh, Ontario, in Toronto. It's an English-speaking province and uh, city. And it was a little bit easier. I mean, I already had Spanish, which by by the end of the first year, I was semi-fluent in Spanish. And then English I learned in high school, which is 
it was not that I was fluent in English, but I could communicate and I could not understand everything else because everybody was speaking too fast and I could not really, it, they had to repeat themselves. But for me, like I was a translator for my parents and, you know, it was such an interesting dynamic when you come from Ukraine, when I was completely dependent on my parents, right, for survival, for everything, going to Argentina, where I, I saw my parents in a super vulnerable state, where they didn't speak in, uh, Spanish, for me, it was a lot faster to learn Spanish, I had to work different jobs, uh, yeah, another job I had to work was working in a factory, so, like, you know, it was like a lot of, um, so, and I was contributing to, to our financial uh, health, well-being of our family, because I will tell you, in Argentina at that time, you could exchange Argentinian peso for an American dollar one-to-one. -one. That was before the crash oh. in 2000. Yeah. Can you believe that? So that was like, an, of course, an artificial inflation or whatever you call it. I, I don't even know what you call it. But after we left Argentina, they had this collapse. It's, it's it was really wild, weird. right? Like you had money in wheelbarrows type of thing. It was so Oh my goodness, so yeah, it was just so, I just feel so bad for the people because when we landed in Canada, we saw the news and basically overnight people were robbing banks and oh, it was awful and grocery stores and their currency completely collapsed because you can't maintain that, right? Like one-to-one -one with the American dollar. So yeah. Okay. And then, you know, coming to Canada, like, so, yeah, like I said, I had to be the translator for my parents and um, it, it was a shift in dynamics for sure. So you're forced at the age of 16 and 17 to take on factory work, to take on translating work, to learn Spanish, now English. Like, how long did it take you to learn the language? Like, what were your methods? And like, psychologically, what was happening? Like, were you breaking down all the time or you just like put on your, your tough pants and get after it or... Oh, yeah. Just put on your tough pants and get after yeah. it. Yeah, basically. I, you know, when you're younger, it's easier to learn a language. And I remember looking for a job in Buenos Aires and I basically wrote down for myself how to ask questions on the phone and I would like call people. It was at that time, we didn't have internet in Argentina. We, you had to find employment through like a newspaper and call, call uh, employers. But I was talking to people on the phone now that I'm thinking about it all the time, like looking for a job. So that took the fear away. And I understood that I could communicate in this new language and they could understand me. And I was just like waiting for those keywords for them to tell me. And then eventually it just started going. Um, it's, it's been thrown in that environment and been forced to, to do it, that you just do it. And you got no other choice, right? Like you, you need to do it. Yeah, and it was kind of fun this. too. It's like the process of, of, course. <laughs> the yeah. Process of yeah, breaking yourself apart and like putting it all together and like your brain just operates. And when I will tell you what, like when you start dreaming in another language, that's when you know you're really trying, you're really picking it up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. So was there ever a point, and you don't have to answer this because this might get a little personal, but was there ever a point where you're like, like you had to work to pay the bills? Like, was it reliant on you in that way? Like, yeah, in Argentina, especially. Yeah. Yeah. What was because, that pressure like at 16? Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, like I didn't have, I, I knew I couldn't quit. Like I had to do it because I had to help my family and, um, uh, 
this was just something that uh, I had to do and I did it. And, um, oh, I remember there was one job that I, I took, um, was living as a caregiver to some lady who had Ukrainian origin and she lived like in a, in rural Argentina and she was, there were some mental issues going on. Um, basically she thought that somebody was after her and she needed this person like me, who was at that time, sit beside her at night and um, make sure that there were no aliens after her. After her. Let me tell you, like, after a week of, like, you know, um, being sleep Did you start deprived, seeing aliens? I started seeing stuff in the air. I'm, like, just so sleep deprived. <laughs> I just want to sleep and then, like, need to watch after her. <laughs> it was... That is so wild. funny. Until like my mom called me, she's like, "Is everything okay?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't think so." <laughs> That's when she said, "You you need to come home." And I, I came. And like for me, unless she would have told me, I probably wouldn't come home because I knew I had to help them. Wow, I'm sure that had a huge positive impact on you as well, right? That never quit. Like yeah. I just know, like the first time I worked over eighty hours, you know, when because I, I was a math teacher, and at that time we had a baby. And the baby, our baby went in the hospital for 32 days. It was like a really crazy, and I was doing my credential program while teaching. So it was like the busiest time of my life ever. And it's like, while my life is a lot better now, like there, like a 40 hour week never felt the same ever again. It was like 40 hours, that's part time. And <laughs> while I don't work right. 80 plus hours every week anymore, 40 just felt different. Is, is that same for you? Like going through that level of, of stress and challenge, like, do you see things differently now? Do things feel easier? Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, like, um, it's funny. I forgot those things. They're just coming up during this interview somehow because I told you I just worked as a cleaning lady and a waitress. And now, like, all these other jobs are coming up in my mind that they did in the span of that year. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, there's no way. Like, you, you can't even compare, you know. Like, right now, I have a full-time job and I, I do real estate sort of part-time during my lunch breaks and... Uh, after work hours and on weekends and I'm happy to do it it's um I'm enjoying it it's not like it's not at all on me uh, I know that I'm building something for my family and it's just a lot of fun yeah okay all right a couple more questions along this line and then we could talk about some real estate stuff but you're a parent and I'm a parent and like one of the things that I think about is like my life wasn't super crazy hard. I didn't have to go through immigration, but there were things that were harder for me than probably are for my kids. Um, and so I kind of wonder, I want to get your take on this. Like you had a pretty interesting journey. Is it, is it like your desire to make it easier for your kids or do you see the strength that you pulled from your challenges and you're like, Hey, I need to like recreate some of this challenge for my kids too. <laughs> such a great question i don't know if i want to recreate the challenge but i definitely want to push them and test their own limits because you diamonds are made under pressure and you can just hand it to them because then they don't appreciate as much they don't know how much work goes into it they don't develop those self um you know the skills and they don't de develop themselves to be the person who can keep that wealth even if you handed them it to them on a golden plate. So my, my, my philosophy is that you've got to teach them how to do it themselves and help them build those skills and hopefully inspire them along the way that, you know, if your folks could uh, get through this and they've done all of this, then what's your excuse? You have no excuse. You've got to go for it. Like, what is your dream? Go for it. 
<laughs> and I really, I'm really big. I hope they they will be into real estate when they grow up, but I'm really big on them pursuing their dreams and doing it on their own terms, not just, you know, the the, the definition of success, the nine to five is, um, that's been instilled in us. Like, I don't want to instill that into my kids. I want them to be entrepreneurial and free spirits. And because that's when, you know, like you're, potential is limitless. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. It's not that somebody tells you what kind of salary you can earn and that's your limit. It's not, you know, hundred <laughs> percent. So I want to go into this because your parents were entrepreneurs in Ukraine and then on into Argentina and Canada, and you have an entrepreneurial spirit. You have leveraged all the things that you've learned, all the languages to land a great job in public service and government and are currently working that job. So you're in the midst of your chase for complete financial freedom. Can you spell out, because you still like are feeling it, like you, you want to make the leap into complete entrepreneur. Can you describe why? So you're like, you want to let your kids do their dreams, but you want them to be entrepreneurs. Like, like explain why like you're advising against the nine to five. You know, it's not that I'm advising against the nine to five. If they want to do nine to five and they will be happy just, great I'll, I'll be i'll be happy that they're happy and they're doing that but i don't want them to limit themselves and think that's the definition of success you know um i have a great job that i'm super grateful for and i really enjoy working with my colleagues and working on the files that i'm working on and it's just a dream come true but then you know during covid years my mindset got opened up to different possibilities and i don't even know how that shift happened it's just I feel like when I talk to people, COVID years were really pivotal for many people in terms of mindset shift and uh, going for their dreams and knowing that maybe it hit hard, you know, hit really close to home that the time is finite in, in our lives, that it's not that we're here uh, forever. We're put on earth for a reason. And what is that purpose? Like figure that out and go for it. Because then I started thinking that, and I don't want that to my kids to have regrets at the end of their life. And this is why I dove head first into uh, real estate is that I thought that, you know, at the end of my lifetime, when I am on, on my deathbed, what am I going to regret? And I knew, like, when I asked myself that question, I knew that I'm going to regret not going for real estate because I, this, that's something that I always wanted to do. That was something that was always scary because I knew that it would be hard. It would not be easy. And I don't want my kids to have regrets. I want them to figure that, figure out their purpose in life and go for it. Be it entrepreneur, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship or nine to five. But as long as they know their purpose, you know, that's, I think, and they go for their purpose without fear. Um, I think I'll say that my job as a parent is, is done. <laughs> is done, done well. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Because some people's dreams really don't align with financial incentives at all. You know, they're not, not only are, is the person not super uh, financially motivated, but, but the field maybe that they love, it has no connection really to finance in any way. And so maybe, you know, just doing really well at their work to give them more time afterwards, maybe the play for them. Um, so I love that per balanced perspective. So what I'd like to do now, cause you're, you're early in your journey, you're doing big things, but early in your journey. I'd like to get your perspective on how are you structuring your thoughts towards financial freedom and towards retirement? Like just so people that are maybe even earlier on the journey can, can listen to this. Like, how do you think about when you're going to step away from the nine to five? How do you think about like, what are your goals for the next weeks, months, and years? Like, how are you structuring 
all those thought yeah, processes? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so for me, it's mostly when I know that I can completely replace and more and maybe even quadruple what I'm currently making. That's when I will know. I will know that it's time to step away from my job when the time at my job costs me money in my business. So that's the sort of measure that I'm, um, I'm, I'm going by. And um, also having that uh, passive, well, I, I wouldn't mind to have like active income and go actively, but then automizing it and uh, establishing it so that it can run without me. So it's more passive for me. I can maybe even dive into a different uh, business or venture or build something else. Just get that time plus get the time with my family i think that's so important that you know the time and this is always the interesting catch 22. Yeah. yeah you're we find ourselves working harder so we're working our nine to five then we're working our side hustle and the purpose behind it is to spend time with our kids and, and yet it's like we're working two jobs so we can have more time with our kids it, it's kind of a crazy thing so you said kind of the number two times four times like is it like, are you saying like, when I, once I hit double my income, then I'll step away? Or is it once I can match it? I think once, maybe once I can match it, I'll think about it and see if I can still continue doing and scaling at the same time. If I can't and uh, it costs me money, then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll know that it's time to, to go for it and just, yeah, because the idea is to, to basically quadruple my income. <laughs> That's, wow. I went, uh, I was part of a um, uh, weekend uh, workshop and basically the person who was leading the workshop, he made us think in those terms that, you know, write what you are currently making and then write, cross that out and uh, double that. So is that how much you want to make in your business? You're like, oh yeah, that would be great to double my income. Now cross that out and double that. How, how do you feel about that now? And then what I realized in that exercise is that when I think about it in those terms, it feels scary, but it also feels so exciting. Like, you know, I just like want to go for it. Um, yeah. It's also developing that healthy relationship with money because a lot of us have a lot of money baggage and it's not okay to talk about money. You know, it's like a taboo topic and people a lot often see people with money as evil people and it just speaks to the baggage that they carry about finances and money mindset and all of that so i want to shift that for my children you know that for them to see that money just it's a flow and it's whether you have skill to make the money flow to your bank account uh, you know so it's like thinking about money in those terms and not trying hard not to create uh, money baggages for them, but <laughs> catching myself sometimes because, you know, it's all, all, always depends on like the language that we use. I go back to that totally. language. Yeah. How we speak. <laughs> and money baggages come in both forms, right? They come in like having money baggages surrounding, like you said, that money is evil or that, that, you know, less is better. And then there's a the money baggages that come around with like the never ending you know, guilt or not guilt, greed and thirst for it and so mm -hmm. on and so forth and finding that middle ground. Now you are a single income family. Like mm -hmm. I was, you know, like I, I am and you also have children. And so yeah. there's a lot of things that you balance. So walk us through, like, how, how, how does someone do that? Like how much time do you allocate for family? Like what does the schedule look like? <laughs> 
hitting on my pain spots. Yes, <laughs> Matt, hundred percent. You know, I've been there. That's why I know where they yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. It just like hits. Um, um, I what I can say is that I wouldn't be able to do this without my husband. Like no yeah. way, no way. You know, like I need that support. I need to be able to come to him and be like, listen, you know, this and this is going on. Can you distract the kids? Like, for example, right now, you know, they're being distracted, yes. even though I don't know if you've heard them, there were, one of them was trying to get in and send them <laughs> I got it. Did not hear. Yeah. My door. <laughs> I don't know. So like, so it's like working in partnership and, um, you know, my husband has a little side hassle that we just have to balance when I spend time with kids and it's, uh, talking to my family, who my mom and dad are here in Edmonton, uh, super grateful for them. They're able to, you know, take care of kids uh, from time to time. I have a, fr a close friend who can uh, do that as, as well. So just managing that. And uh, like, for example, tomorrow uh, I arranged for childcare for the kids. My husband will be working on his side hustle and, um, I'll be working on real estate, but the kids will be with somebody else. And then for half a day and half a day with my, with my husband. But it's like that balance, which is, I don't know if even like the word balance because you can never balance it. It's like such a tricky thing to balance. Like you're bound to just fall down and your balls to break, but those are the most precious balls that you don't want to break. So how do you integrate that with your lifestyle is and with what you're trying to do? So sometimes it just looks like I'm taking my kids along to see our brand new builds and it's a good exposure for them because then they're interested and they want to be in my videos when I film the properties. And But then, you know, it's uh, scheduling that time with them, with my uh, husband, with my children. So the day after tomorrow, uh, it will be family day. So I'll make sure to spend time with my boys and do something special. Maybe bake something or go somewhere special Ooh. where they want to go. Love this. So like, this is so interesting. Like I want to dive back into your story a little bit. So you're 16, 17, you're, you're working these hours, probably not getting a lot of the quality family time that so you probably had a lot of that growing up with your parents being entrepreneurs. Yeah. When you look back, like, is it fond memories? Like, you know, it's interesting, like, as us entrepreneurs get in the grind so much, like, would you have wished for more, you know, like, n like parents not working? Like, how do you gauge like your childhood with parenthood? Yeah. I, I actually, I never thought that my parents didn't spend enough time with me. Just, I knew that they were working hard to provide for our family and that's just how things were. And then I would often join my, my dad on those trips to other cities and, um, you know, to do trades. And I was talking, uh, selling stuff at like age between 14 and 16 or 13 and 16. And, um, having so i feel like it was really interesting for me because it gave me exposure to what it's like to be an entrepreneur because sometimes you sleep on the road and you know and you're on the road a lot and i am grateful for those times uh, with my dad in the car because we got to talk and we got to tell stories to each other and i think you know uh, i was a teenager's a teenager and I feel like teenagers open up in the car when you know nobody's staring at them and it's like safe to talk so I'm pretty sure that it was a good experience for my dad as well to to bond and connect and then 
I, I knew I could, I was helping him out in his business because on some days my mom just wasn't feeling well or she couldn't go and uh, it was just me going. So those are really fond memories. And um, now that I think about it and you're asking me all these questions, I feel like they really shaped my approach to entrepreneurship that it doesn't have to be, I mean, you can only fail if it's not fun for you, you're not enjoying it. So you've got to enjoy the process because it's not going to be fun all the time and it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but who do you need to become to be the person who achieves that? So that's the mindset you need to take. And it's just Love what it. you do, right? It just comes with it. it comes with the territory. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's dive into your real estate portfolio a little bit. So you are working on new builds, like some development. So tell us about what you're up to. Uh, so now what um, we do is we buy turnkey property, uh, a new build, small multifamily property from the builder. So basically the beauty of it is that I avoid all that land development stuff um, where you have to ask or look for um, you know permits and um, all that stuff is the city it takes time you need to carry the mortgage meanwhile and then um, so I'm not doing that especially that, that I still have my full-time job so I'm going directly to uh, turnkey purpose-built or turnkey rent rentals um, these multifamily buildings and um, I buy them with investors. I'm the active partner on the deal and we bring in passive partners who it's basically like a mortgage syndication where people mm -hmm. yeah, like bring a specific um, amount of money to the deal and then they, they get um, equity percentage um, in the property. And then myself and my husband, we operate the property. We're active administrators of the property where we manage uh, property manager, you know, we deal with utility companies, uh, taxes, like all of that bookkeeping and managing the whole team to make sure that business run, runs smoothly and runs as a business and we get positive cash flow that can be distributed to our investors at the end of the day. Love it. And this is something that right? you got exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not a get rich quick in this game, especially. But you got exposure to this, right? Like your dad got into this, and what led him down this road when you got to Canada? Yeah. So, are you alluding to our times as um, uh, superintendents? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we got to Canada, um, of course, my parents didn't speak any English, so they had to start second time from scratch. And um, my dad uh, was working labor jobs, but he's been in construction all his life. So he is used to that uh, type of physical labor, but it was still, you know, minimal wage. And especially when you don't have English and you don't still still don't have your red seal. He got his red seal later on. Um, so they really wanted to become homeowners because that's what you see. That's like American dream, Canadian dream, you know, to own your property and you made it in Canada. And um, of course, they couldn't put money aside working minimum wage jobs. I was already, for the first year of being in Canada, learning English full time because I wanted to go to university. Um, so I couldn't help them with, you know, working. So what they decided to do is to become superintendents in um, multifamily buildings. We lived in Toronto at that time. So that's how we, I feel like that was my first exposure to multifamily, uh, to run multifamily as business. Like that opened my eyes that this can be a business, profitable business. And plus this is a generational business because the owners that, that owned the multifamily where we worked, 
it was passed on from the father to the son who was running it as business. And, you know, like he didn't have any other job. That was his job. Like he had two multifamily buildings and that was his job. And he was able to, you know, do whatever he wanted with his time, had family time. So I was like, I was fascinated by that. So of course, at age 17, I had that exposure and I didn't think it was for me because like, I didn't know how to do it. But then the interesting thing happens, right? When you ask your brain to look for ways, how you ask them, like your brain to figure out how to do something. Eventually, you're going to see those answers around you and you're going to be around people who have those answers. You'll just need to, you'll just recognize opportunities to ask um, the right questions of the right people at the right time, because your brain is working at the at the back um, on that. Well, real estate's such an amazing industry too, where people can share knowledge. Like certain businesses, if you teach your you know your employees everything, they can essentially go become your competitors, which is not a great rationale, but is why a lot of people kind of keep some things close to the best. But in property ownership, they can't steal your property from you, so. <laughs> It just only benefits you. I mean, and I would argue it benefits you in all businesses, but particularly in real estate, it benefits you just to completely educate your people so that they can level up. There's so many, and that's what I love about this industry. There's so many people that are so generous with the with the knowledge. Like you could learn anything so fast and uh, so cool that you got that exposure. I love what so, you're saying, Matthias, 100%. And this is what my experience has been in real estate investing community. There is no scarcity thinking. There is like thinking, abundance of thinking, abundance of information. People are sharing information with each other. They're truly helping, especially when you're saying that you're a newbie. Everybody wants to help you. So it's been a really positive experience in that sense. Love it. So specifically what are your goals in the next 12 months in the next 12 months so we are currently going through an acquisition of our next um, brand new eightplex so they're taking possession at the end of in two months actually at the end of january so early 2023 uh, super excited about that so in the first few months the goal will be to make sure the property is stable it you know, run smoothly, everything works. And um, I'm looking, I already started looking for my next uh, deals and it's basically analyzing deals as they come in. Because uh, as you know, it's all about relationships, right? And who knows you and who you know in the community. That's how sometimes and often you, um, you land those great deals. So looking for my next deal and um, looking for interested investors as well, basically who, who wants to let their money uh, work passively for mm -hmm. them. Totally. So let's talk about cap rates. Let's talk about those things. So you're buying a new building. So you're not really worried too much about the condition. These are nice units. What are the purchase prices per unit generally? And what's, what's the return that people get on the cap rates? Right. So the cap rate is 5.5 5, uh, 5, uh, usually on these buildings. Um, there, as you can imagine, uh, type A in class A neighborhoods buildings. So they are not B, not C, they're A. And um, where we are in Edmonton, um, real estate is super affordable. Uh, we are probably one of the last major affordable markets in Canada. Uh, the rest of Canada is going high, pretty high, but we're, I feel like we are on the, in the beginning of that up cycle. 
Um, we are, of course, very uh, dependent on oil and gas here. And for the past eight years, prices have been pretty stable. So we got used to boring and stable life in real estate. <laughs> you might feel like it's uh, good or not, you know, maybe not good if you're looking for excitement and appreciation, but it's uh, good if you're looking for stability and cash flow. So that's been uh, great. Um, because our properties are turnkey, no value add, these are brand new class A um, uh, buildings. We probably purchased them to close to 250 per door. So that's pretty high. However, the returns are pretty good. Um, uh, they tend to uh, positively cash flow and um, the only downside is that like we, we can't add value to it. Right. So it's yeah. not a, a, a value add property. It's a turnkey property, but it's a great res recession resistant uh, type of investment where, you yeah, know, it's gonna you're not going to have issues down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And insurance companies love to insure insure these properties where you hear on the purpose, um, on the value add properties where sometimes they ask you to like retrofit electrical and plumbing. We don't have those issues uh, with these builds because they're built up to standard, up to the code. And Love they get that. really good insurance rates for these properties. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is the opposite of the car industry, right? Where your new cars are way more expensive. Yeah. So talk to me about like the syndication process. So generally, like when people are doing value add syndication there, it's like a five to seven year time cycle. Then there's an exit. But given that there's no value add, is this like a long term syndication play mm -hmm. or how is that structured? Yeah, so long-term uh, buy and hold, uh, we are reevaluating at the five-year mark to see if uh, it's a good time to sell or we hold it for the next five years. So exit, um, ideal exit is in 10 years, where ideally we triple the money by the end of 10 years. Cool. And just because there's no value add, there's no increase in value from that aspect. Yeah. So you're just banking on, given that it's multifamily, rent increase and market increase as your main drivers for the, the returns for the investors. Yeah. And cash flow as well. Um, yeah. And we're being pretty um, conservative in our estimates. So, you know, we're saying that increase in uh, income 3%, increase in expenses 3%. So that cancels each, each other out basically. And um, being very conservative with our estimates for appreciation. So we're only putting 4%. Um, for this deal, for example, I'll give you an example that we're working on now. Uh, we got it under contract at last year prices at 1.915. And as part of financing, we had to get it appraised. So it got appraised at 2.26. So we already made money on paper, right, on the buy, which is really good. And with this inflation, where inflation is at, um, I don't see these buildings going down in volume, especially that uh -huh. rental rates are going up. So the income yeah. that your property is producing is going up too. Are you seeing any slowdown in Canada like we are here in the U.S.? You know, what I see is slowdown on the single family housing more uh, because, as you know, they depend on uh, comparables, right? Market comparables. But in um, multifamily, I haven't seen a slowdown yet. I think... You know, there will be good deals this year. So for people who are looking for value add properties, um, it's it's a, it's going to be a good time to buy because unfortunately, as you know, some people probably over leveraged and um, would need to get out of deals. So there will be deals. Totally. Wow. 
Well, Ilona, I am so thankful that you came on and we're willing to share, you know, some of those more vulnerable moments as you went through different countries and, and giving us a glimpse of your life and business. So for those of you listening, please take some action, right? If nothing else, the mindsets that were developed in the immigration process and that's carried on. And obviously we got some fun conversations about family, but take at least one thing that you want to accomplish or learn from this episode, put it in action. Tell somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is not as far away as you think. It's only one action away at a time. So thanks you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.